MFs, welcome back to Hustle Like You Broke. Part two with travel agent Danny Triebner today. Had a spirited discussion a couple days ago. Excited to pick it up again here. Not a lot has changed in the world since then. Civil unrest still abounds. Dear leader, still a fucking idiot. Red states still don't get it. Schools are reopening. No distancing. No masks. No precautions. Administrators. State, local officials shrugging. I was talking to a teacher last night who says she thinks we're going to start with a hybrid model and then transition back to remote learning for the foreseeable future, which is bad news for me. I'm sorry for my brother Banks. I'm sorry to all the parents out there who are looking forward to the teaching being left with their teachers. But such as the world we live in is what it is. Not much to report in the way of changes in sports. Cases still popping up here and there. Not much has changed in music. <laughs> Not much has changed in reality TV since we talked about that the other day. So here we are. Back again with my co-hosts. Dallas, Banks, and Kyle, picking it up again with the incomparable Danny Trebner. So, Danny, you referenced earlier that all travel agents can essentially do the same things, but of course we know that all agents are not alike. And I mean, due respect to all the booking agents I've worked with over the years, but everyone doesn't do the same things, doesn't have the same methods, and has varying degrees of success over time. At the risk of, you know, suggesting you talk shit about your contemporaries, I mean, please feel free to talk shit about your contemporaries if you like. If there's ever a place and a time to do that, it's right here, right now, and we can just keep it among us if you like. But I mean, <laughs> Tell us, I mean, talk to us about what makes a great travel agent. Talk to us about what a great travel agent needs to do and, and why you, uh, you know, stand out from the pack. I mean, I guess, yeah, I was, that was a sweeping generalization that everybody can do the same thing because you do get agents out there that don't do ticketing at all because they just don't want to deal with having to learn that archaic system. <laughs> um, so there are people who just kind of do hotel reservations. Um I mean, for me, I think having the experience of actually being a part of the tour so many times, I mean, that experience is almost priceless because, you know, I've been in the lobby when the keys aren't ready and I had to deal with everybody looking at me like, where's the keys? And i am got some young 18-year-old at three o'clock in the morning who doesn't know how to cut the keys and the poor thing, I'm just staring at him like, come on, you know, I've got 70 people here that need their keys. So I think like obviously experience is is a big 
key factor as to what makes a successful travel agent and having seen the other side of it and understanding why what could appear as such a small request on the face of it but once you've lived it and experienced it on the other side and seen how it impacts like the rooms aren't ready you've got to go back to you know woken everyone up at this point now everybody's got to go back to the bus we don't know how long it's going to be nobody's going to be able to get like a proper night's sleep you know you maybe wouldn't or like the bus parking's like 17 miles away (laughs) it's all stuff like that that I think having the experience of having been there done that it's uh it just comes more second nature and probably makes me more detail orientated on just making sure that everything is exactly as you say it's going to be (laughs) um but yeah and I think obviously there's you you're either cut for it or you're not right I mean that's that's industry-wide it's it's a crazy industry and you live and you breathe it and if you're not willing to run out of your dinner at eight o'clock at night because somebody's you know needs an emergency then it's probably not the right industry for you you know these things it's 24 7 it's constantly changing even when you think it's all set it's all gonna turn upside down tomorrow anyway or there's gonna be a hurricane or you know there's gonna be a pandemic that closes everything down (laughs) you just never know what's gonna happen and I think especially in this industry you just have to be adaptable and just really roll with the punches and yeah. Well, I'm glad you said the part about having actually experienced it and been there and seen it for yourself, because I really do think that is so valuable. And and I've said that again, relating the situation, travel agents to booking agents. I've said before, a booking agent really needs to see what life is like on the road. And frankly, most never do. And and it's very much to their detriment and even worse, it's very much to the detriment to the crews and and ultimately to the artists who are paying for everything when the booking agent or the travel agent doesn't have that knowledge and perspective from having seen it and experienced it for themselves. But how many travel agents then actually do that? Not too many. I mean, like I said, um, my first ever tour, like start to finish, was uh, the Jay-Z Beyonce, the On The Run, the first one. That was in 2014, I think. Was that right, Christine? Something like that. I think you're right, yes. It was about that time. 2013, 2014. And I did that tour. So I did all the travel for it, like all of it. I look back on this this tour and I'm in total disbelief that it even happened and that I managed to pull it off because I did we had three steel crews floating steel crews of like what 20 to 30 people in each all their hotels and flights we had a production crew of definitely over 100 I can't remember the exact number we had band and dancers of like 40 ish and then obviously the a party which was the two artists kids nannies securities drivers nurses like the whole lot and I did all of that whilst riding the production bus (laughs) and I'll be in the back lounge of the bus trying to get an internet signal to issue tickets and I was freaking out you know everybody else was having a good old time and there was I was in the corner like sat with my laptop like trying to get these tickets to issue and getting more and more perturbed that I couldn't get on the internet and everyone would be like look out of the window that it's just like cornfields of North Dakota or whatever. There's no surprise that there's no internet here. 
But I think that was, you know, it was, a, it was incredibly stressful, but it was a, a very good learning curve for me to see it all, A, from the bus. <laughs> and we were like the last bus to leave all the time. First bus in, last bus to leave. And uh, yeah, it was just, uh, it was pretty intense. <laughs> was Dallas on your bus? Yeah, she was. Were we on the same bus? <laughs> when we weren't dead. <laughs> yeah. It was a fun yeah. time though. It was it was a definite fun time. <laughs> it was insane. Yeah. But now yeah. I look back on it, I'm like, how on earth did I do all of that on my own from the bus? I mean, we were having a good time too, so there was that. <laughs> but even even the production office, I mean, it's not that that was part of the other I think rough yeah. part of your job is it's not like you get a private office to work in during the day when you're in a role like you are you're typically going to be in the production office in a perched corner. on the edge of a desk like in right. the way of everything in the stress zone <laughs> exactly so I'll go and see Christine which is also a stress zone but it was sometimes <laughs> the lesser of two evils <laughs> right and just not your stress. <laughs> and she always had a nice candle burning. It always used to smell nice wherever Christine was. I was like, I'm going to go and hang out with her. <laughs> yep, exactly. Oh, man. The good old days. So, so, Danny, is that a missing perspective with a lot of uh, travel agents is that they've never been on the road, so they don't understand the struggles that these crews have, you know, trying to get people into these lobbies and having the buses pull in and all that? It, it just seems like a lot of not a lot, but there are some travel agents that you deal with that just don't understand, you know, the yeah. challenges that they have. I mean, I do consider myself very fortunate in that I had that experience. And, you know, obviously it's it's a cost involved because it's an extra hotel room. It's the per diems. And not every tour can afford that. And I can completely understand that. But uh, it's just such a luxury for both sides. If you can even bring them out just for like a couple of cities you know maybe in the beginning when you're still locking things in and it would just be such a value to for the tour to invest whatever it is like a grand or whatever for to have them come for the first week of a tour just to really see how it rolls but also some travel agents might not want to get involved with that but I do feel that us in this industry generally 90% of us are you know we're all in (laughs) this is it's you know it's a lifestyle it's uh it's not just a job it's it, we we live it with you guys so sticking with the theme of qualitative differences between travel agents for a minute <laughs> i tried to get off it <laughs> i'm bringing you right back in <laughs> you did make reference to and I think this was in response to one of Dallas's questions, a reference to negotiating with the hotels about the extras or about the freebies or, you know, the upgrades and the access and what have you. How much of that is really the agent negotiating versus what the hotels will on a case by case always give up based on, you know, level of booking, amount of money spent, et cetera? I think 90% of it is your agent's relationship with the hotel. Um, you know, I, I really do pride myself on on relationships, whether they're client or supplier. Um, but, you know, what you can get, I mean, 
will always beat down or I will always beat down on the price. You know, they'll give me, say you want the presidential suite, they'll come in at like 15,000 and I'm like, no, come on. Is that really the best you can do? It's for a week, you know, just really bash them down a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it is, it's a full negotiation process. And I personally, I do really sit, I try and sit very much in that I'm trying to get the most that I can for the client. But obviously you don't want to screw the hotel because you, you, you have to ride that line of, you know, you can't, you can't have them buying out, you know, loads of bottles of champagne. It's all at a cost, you know, things cost money. So you have to, you have to be fair with, with the demands that you make. Which again, I think is a, re, a another parallel to booking agents and, you know, you can't screw the promoter. You can't take all the money. You need to leave enough meat on the bone that everyone can eat and everyone wants to continue doing business together. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And, you know, this whole industry is based on relationships, all of it, all sides of it. So, you know, I don't want a hotel being like, oh, God, Danny, she's such a nightmare to work with. Like, that's not going to do me any favors. And it, ultimately, it's not going to do you any favors. So, you know, I really do try and keep like a, a good relationship on, on all angles. But there is a high level of negotiation that goes into it. So sticking with the theme of cost in some respect, but also in the theme of progressive approaches to doing business and better business, let's shift gears a little bit. Why don't you talk to us about what the concert industry, what the travel portion of the concert industry is doing to improve their environmental impact? Yeah. I mean... I guess, like we touched on already, this whole electronic age is definitely helping, like the apps, the e-boarding cards, the hotels with the e-keys and all that kind of stuff, um, less paper in rooms, less menus, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you could look at it from a touring perspective, like if you compared the environmental effect of going on the plane versus being on the bus. Does anyone know? I mean, I think the bus is, I believe the bus is more friendly to the environment than a plane. I would, I, I mean, depending on the number of people you're flying, I would think that that's definitely true. But sometimes you don't have the luxury of the time. <laughs> so also I think there's, a, there's an element of, I don't really know what else they could do to make it more green. I mean, God, I always used to say, I went two years ago, we did an Asia Pacific run. And uh, this is in the days when I used to go out and I'd recce all the hotels. So I would do the whole tour on my own, come back, and then I'd leave and do the advance and do the tour with the band. So I went around the world twice in one year. And I was thinking like, I would hate to see what my carbon footprint is. I mean, it's crazy. I was constantly on planes. And I have to say, I haven't really missed, I have and I haven't, but just that whole feeling of that long haul fly. And, you know, it's, I think the radiation you get from, I think it's one transatlantic return flight, the radiation you get on that is the equivalent of like five chest x-rays. So it's not good for you. It's not, let alone the environment, it's not good for you. <laughs> 
Well, forgetting flights, though, for a second, flights versus buses. And again, I'd be curious about, I really don't know the science there. I'd be very curious, you know, what is the less or more environmentally friendly means, the less uh, destructive means. But are there hotel chains that are more environmentally conscious? Are there places that you can stay where you know that they make an effort um, yeah. to reduce their footprints? I mean, in all honesty, all the hotel chains are making a concerted effort to do that. It's just, you know, you get a lot of like a four star, like let's say like a Hilton or something like that, a Marriott, Sheraton. And you'll always see that little card on the bed, like leave this on the bed if you're happy not to wash your sheets or hang your towel on this rack if you're happy not to have new towels. So they have been consciously doing that um, for a number of years now. But I think once you step up into like the five-star luxury parts of the industry, of the hotel vendors, that kind of goes out the window a little bit because everybody wants their sheets changed every day. And, you know, you want fresh towels. And I think it's harder to remain green when you're dealing with high-end luxury because they're too, unless you're talking like some spa hotel that's run by solar panels on the roof, but then what are you going to do if the solar goes out and your talent can't get air conditioning in the suite? <laughs> you know? I think you kind of, it goes out the window a little bit when you're talking five-star luxury, have to have everything. As much as we would like to make it greener, there's, there's a limit. I think that that's probably true, although I want to float something, and I don't. this is kind of out of left field, but I've been thinking lately about ways that venues could start making themselves more environmentally friendly and, and do better in terms of reducing their own carbon footprint. We actually were talking, our, our most recent podcast was with a gentleman named Mitch Bornstein with the Los Angeles Stadium and Hollywood Park Complex in Inglewood. And he was talking a little bit about what they're doing in terms of they built a reservoir and they're planting trees and they're planting gardens. And I'm thinking there has to be ways to, to, to just do little things which make the environmental impact less, which, which create resources. Um, I, I was driving literally down the street from my, my house today on the way to run an errand. And I passed a car. I can't remember what it was called, but it was a greenery that's sponsored by the Boston Red Sox, which I immediately called up Sam, who's our tech support here on the podcast, who's worked with me for years. And I said, research this, find out who these people are, what they do. I'm thinking we need to be telling venues they need to be adapting more of these causes, these principles, because I do know one thing the Boston Red Sox does, my hometown baseball team, is they have a garden on their roof, and they use that to feed the teams that come and they, the crews that work in the stadium. And I'm thinking, and I don't know if this is a question or a statement, but I'm thinking that these luxury hotel chains should be planting gardens on their properties and they yeah. should be using their own vegetables and their own fruits and in the restaurants. Go ahead. Some do already. Some do already. I just did a site at this beautiful hotel in Merida, Mexico. If you ever get a chance to go there, the Chablis is absolutely out of this world. And they had all their own 
gardens full of you know like vegetable gardens fruit gardens they had stuff on site there but it was like a spa hotel I think that's more that kind of niche of they're already doing it in those kinds of places like you might get hotels that have vineyards on site that make their own wine (laughs) which is great (laughs) but I think um yeah I think also another big thing with the environment with with going back to venues is I think we're seeing or we're going to see that everything's becoming paper-free, especially post-COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's going to be a big impact on on the environment, you know, with all that paper that's not being used for, like, tickets and things like that. Well, I, I, would, I just want to say I think a lot more hotels that aren't necessarily boutique-y, out-of-the-way spas should be stepping it up and planting gardens and becoming more environmentally friendly, hiring local gardeners to produce their fruits and vegetables instead of buying them in bulk from, you know, international wholesale distributors and what have you. Uh, But that aside, what else are hotels going to be doing post COVID that we might want to know about? Well, they're still kind of working out the the real kinks of it. Um, I know I'm waiting to receive like an update from a couple of like the big five-star hotels. Um, They're removing a lot of stuff from the rooms that obviously has a a tendency to attract germs. Like I said, the menus in the rooms, the mini bars are going to be a thing of the past. Um, remotes are going to be which we all know the remote is like the most disgusting part of the hotel room uh they're going to be sort of sanitized and packaged some hotels are kind of sealing the doors with like a a pull tab so that you know that nobody's been in there since you were last in there um housekeeping services sometimes they're saying on the not on the five stars but maybe not to service a hotel room whilst you're in house so that it's only you that's been or your you and your guests that's been in that room you know that no other outside person has been in there you know it's it's a new age that we're moving into obviously masks are mandatory in most public places uh i don't even know whether any hotel gyms are open again yet i don't think they are at the moment but uh I'm just thankful that some hotels are open. <laughs> it's, it's uh, I've never thought we'd see the day when all the hotels were closed. You know, I have a lot of friends who are hoteliers and, you know, it's terrifying. Never mind my travel agent friends, but all my hotel friends who are laid off, furloughed. It's, um, it's not a good time, really. I don't think anyone really realized that the industry would be impacted as much as it was or is. Well, and I think that hotels are still trying to figure out what that model looks like. You know, do we take everybody's temperature when they check in? Is that invasive? You know, if you've got like an A-list band, are, are they going to have to stop and do a complete temperature check? And these are all things that are in conversation right now as to what the new normal is going to be. Well, you just reaffirmed my long-time concern that I should never ever touch a remote control and then the bed or the food or anything like that in a hotel room no definitely not (laughs) (laughs) wipe it down (laughs) that's repulsive (laughs) so 
I, I mean, I, I'm sorry to point this out, but I'm assuming that your business has not been amazing of late. Would that be yeah. accurate? Yeah, since March. I was actually on tour with Guns. Uh, we were out in, um, we were starting our South America tour for the Lola circuit and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, <laughs> we did one show. I think they did one of the last shows, which was in Mexico City, that was touch and go whether it was going to happen or not. And um, and then everybody got sent home after after the first show. So and nothing's happened since then except for cancelling everything because we had the European tour all booked, the US tour all booked. Yeah, it's terrible. Well, we see they we see they've announced next year's yeah stadium dates in the US at least. Given and the level of service that that you provide, which clearly is exceptional. I, I'm just curious, again, this is kind of just an aside, but do they call you and they say, we're looking at these dates? Do, is there anything about them that you think we should consider uh, before con- confirming conferences yeah. that are in town that might fuck with hotel reservations or travel issues that might uh, impact load-ins or anything of that nature? Yeah. So we get the list of the dates as early as possible. I mean, it doesn't always happen as early as one would like. <laughs> But, um, I mean, at the moment, I got all the rescheduled dates a a couple of weeks ago, which having a year's lead time on a tour is almost unheard of (laughs) for most bands that I've worked with. Um, But, yeah, we'll always get the dates. We'll, like, rough it all out and just check the distances and, you know, how it goes and, um, and start locking everything in. Because when you're dealing with bands that have huge fan bases, it's uh, imperative to get those rooms locked in as early as possible because as soon as those dates go live, everybody, well, you get mega fans that will, you know, gravitate towards like, oh, well, there's one five-star hotel in Clisson, France, you know, we're going to go there because <laughs> they might be there. So, yeah, it's imperative to get all that locked in before the the public announce goes out. Well, you answered part of my question, but I want to push back just a little bit on on that. So it sounds like you're getting these dates quickly upon confirmation, which frankly isn't always the case. I, I am aware of that. But I'm wondering if you're ever actually consulted before dates are confirmed and, and no. or whether you should be, if, if, it, if it actually would be a good practice moving forward to consult the travel agent and say, does this routing make sense to you? Do these it really would. make sense to you? Yeah, there's so many times when you get given a route. I say routing. <laughs> and you look at it and you're like, this makes no sense whatsoever. We're going to go up there to go back down there. And then we're going back in the middle there. You could have just done like boom, 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 all in one row. And everybody kind of wonders why. I mean, we have to assume that there's a reason why. But uh, it would be amazing if we could get those things in advance to maybe shuffle things around ahead of time. Obviously I know it all goes on venue booking and all that kind of stuff, but yeah, that would be awesome. (laughs) Certainly venue consideration, venue availability is a consideration that's, that is what it is. And we've all been a part of those zigzagging tours where we just say, what the fuck? But I do think for future reference, if it's not done, it should be considered at times that bookings be done wisely and in coordination with more people and and i would 
posit that the travel agent should be one such person who should have a say with an act that is committed to a longtime travel agent that provides mm-hmm. a level of service that can look at a routing and say, this here doesn't make sense, not just because of mileage, but because of other considerations that you might be aware of. Right. Or there's like a major citywide or the basketball is always the worst sporting event because isn't that the one I don't follow sports and I know this obviously (laughs) might not be the right platform for the sport talk after your intro but um the basketball always seems to be the one that nobody knows when it's going to end or (laughs) thing and you've got like I remember we had it on the diamonds tour where we were booked in and the basketball extended so we had to reroute everything and it was just a nightmare Exactly. And I would say that those that Kyle and I in particular are, are actually fairly big sports fans in spite of my fumbles in the <laughs> intro. But, uh, Lakers, Raiders. <laughs> but, but, but we don't follow it as if we were in there. And I would say that there is overlap in certain considerations, again, much like promoters have to deal with with overlaps in the the facilities, be it same facility, neighboring facility, what have you, where those considerations should be taken into account. And you're right, as you know, is the booking agent thinking when they start the tour in May that we need to consider that the NBA season is still ongoing and there might be, you know, important matchups late in the season in May that need to be considered, if not playoffs and finals and what have you. I, I do think at a certain level, all of that needs to be considered. You know, yeah. the Comic Cons we, we've run into, I can't tell you how many times on in the last couple of years, Chris, you can attest to this. Kyle, I, I think you can too, where we turn around and we're like, another fucking Comic Con in the same hotel we're staying? This is fucking <laughs> crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I was we there. Got, yeah, yeah. We, 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 some kind of way, got kept getting booked in these hotels where they were holding like these weird conventions with like aliens and <laughs> anime people uh. and it was like the most odd thing in the world we've also yep. gotten bumped several times with uh, the nba where we had to yeah. stay in these awful hotels for like two and three days because there's a playoff game happening that's so shocking considering who i think y'all talk about <laughs> oh, sarcasm no sarcasm Ooh. there Alan. vicious Well, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. And those are exactly the types of considerations that I would want to believe that certain artists and agents and managers would want to be considering in a post-COVID world as we talk about doing better business. That's my question, Danny. Do, Do the agencies like Live Nation or AEG ever come together and just talk and find out who's doing the travel for these situations to ensure that their artists and everybody else that these tours are kind of traveling happily together? No, I mean, because the Live Nation people have the conversation, they book all the dates, and then it gets passed on to the management who then pass it on to tour manager, or sometimes it comes directly from management to the travel agent. So it's kind of like that chain of command. Um, But And also I, I feel like, there's always this kind of, you know, secrecy around dates before they're announced. And it would have to be the right sort of 
relationship and longevity of relationship with a client for the for the management uh, sorry for the promoter to even involve the travel agent in the beginning without upsetting management because <laughs> there, there has to be this you know how it is like there's this flow of information and that's kind of how it always is <laughs> most of our information comes from the internet <laughs> We never get tour dates, start dates, cancellation dates. We don't get anything. Mm, I mean, yeah, I did see the, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> Forget I said anything. Say it. <laughs> Come on, no cop outs here. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I did see the, um, the rescheduled dates for the European, although I had them already, but I didn't know that the announce was going out, but uh, I did see that on Instagram. I was like, oh, okay. So I guess it's announced. <laughs> Just see, what see, I exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Stuff gets canceled and we could be standing right next to the manager and not tell us anything. Look at your, look at your phone, Instagram. Oh yeah. Oh, I- we, our tour is canceled and you didn't say nothing to us. Well, first of all, first of all, Danny, what's happening right here is Kyle's trying to be his usual provocative self, which, which of course I appreciate. I wholeheartedly encourage it. That's just the way Kyle it is. I, I do want to point out, he just said that he likes to look over managers' shoulders at their phones to try and see what the fuck they're doing. No, 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 no. You heard me say, he look say at that. my phone. You did say that. You creepy and motherfucker. And the manager and say, huh, you couldn't tell us that the stuff was getting canceled? I had to look at my phone to be to get the information. It was whack. I mean, we all do know that this industry, the feeding of information, sometimes it's fantastic, and then other times it's not. <laughs> I don't see why this so why it's so secret. It's like, yo, we're gonna find out. What's why keep it under lock and key? Yeah. Give us the information so we can plan accordingly. Yeah. Well, I they think don't, they don't want the information to get out. Exactly. No, but I, it's I mean, on the I, internet before we even know. We get told stuff is either happening or canceled via Instagram. Yeah, but they don't want us happen- to know before the public knows. Because if it gets out and it's leaked, then there's they can't manage it. Or like exactly things and exactly correct. To Danny, I mean the reality is the NDA NBA, we find. Most of us are under NDAs most of the time. And and you would think that artists would only want to engage and promoters would only want to be engaged with artists and crews where everybody can keep their fucking mouth shut and honor their NDA. And that that open exchange of information would be a consideration. And certainly, again, I promote for a better world and a better business. I, I wish that more of that would happen. But I mean, that that's what... Chris just said is exactly right. I mean, the reality is a lot of artists, a lot of managers, they don't fucking trust anybody. They don't trust you, Kyle. That's for damn sure. And it's not just you. It's 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 everybody. They don't trust me. They don't trust banks. They don't trust anybody with the information. So they let us fucking find out the same way everybody else did on the internet, which is fucking bullshit sometimes, but it says more about the manager usually than it does about anybody else. So why should we spend 30 minutes filling out a 50-page tour packet if none of it is honored? Well, that's a different question, and I can't even answer that. Although, Danny, it does bring up, and I wanted to ask this you know a minute ago when when kyle started being 
you know, a little bit provocative. You and he did work together mm-hmm. on the Rihanna 777 tour. And Diamonds. And were you on Auntie too? Oh, uh, no, I didn't do Anti. Oh, no, Auntie. So I'm sure you've got a, a Kyle story that you can tell us. I mean, I don't actually don't. <laughs> I'm really sorry to disappoint you, but I don't. Negative. That's bullshit. He was always very well behaved. <laughs> you, you must be confusing him for somebody else. When I say well behaved, I mean he didn't trash any hotel rooms and he made all his flights. For the most part, I'm pretty sure you made all your flights. I've so, never missed a flight unless it was canceled. Exactly. So for me, it was that one flight like, coming out of Turkey, though. I don't know. <laughs> no. Oh, you were there. You mean when we were uh, when the uh-huh. when the city fell apart? Yeah, that one. <laughs> After that all nighter in the front lobby. <laughs> uh-huh. well, I was on time. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, you never left the lobby. <laughs> sure didn't. I, I was, it was it was it was scary. Some of this shit must have been Kyle's fault. Tell me it was. Not at all. I cannot cause a city to go unrest. That had nothing to do with me. <laughs> we literally finished a show and the city fell apart in our in front of our eyes. If we're getting back to the hotel, it was it was it was terrible. Yeah. Well, y'all are no fun for not actually putting poking fun at each other. I'm I'm not happy right now. I'm just gonna. But you know, facts are facts. You know, I'm balanced. You know, I'm on time. I don't miss flights. I don't tear up hotel rooms. I don't like. I do not like to give up my credit card for random incidentals that I never that I never charged, but always seem to find its way on my card. <laughs> no stuff like All that. Right. Wow. All right, moving on. So, speaking of tearing up hotel rooms, I mean, Danny, just looking at your your list of past clients. You know, none more so than guns. I mean, you've got to have a story or two about ripping up hotel rooms or some crazy shenanigans that that you want to tell us about. It's called it. She's NDA. under she NDA. Exactly. She can't talk about it. She doesn't have to name names. She can just tell a fucking story. Shut up. I honestly, ripping up hotel rooms, it just doesn't happen these days. You know, the only people it happens with is the crew. <laughs> I remember one tour, I think I had three TVs that were broken and it was all on the crew party. <laughs> Christine, you remember one of them? I think wow. I do. <laughs> <laughs> the chair went through the uh, TV screen. You you know it. I'll tell yep. you offline. <laughs> See, that's why we can't get the early check-in the night before because we're paying for all these rooms that have been damaged. <laughs> I think um, one of the funniest um, experiences, it actually wasn't one of my clients, but it's always stuck with me, is uh, there was this one lady and uh, she had a pet pig <laughs> and uh, left said pig in the uh, beautiful suite that she was booked into um, for a number of hours. And this pig just went crazy, went nuts. And it basically dug up the entire like dug up all the sofa the carpet everything was it was just completely annihilated by this little pet pig and um of course uh, you know five star luxury hotel this suite was out of action for i don't even know how long but <laughs> they were like what happened <laughs> this pet oh. pig just went wild <laughs> i know about this pet pig <laughs> oh <yeah. laughs> 
a pet pig has destroyed some audio stuff too. I know very I know all about the pet pig. <laughs> the famous pet pig. <laughs> um, but yeah. But no, people don't really smash up hotel rooms anymore. It's it's very um grown up and adult these days. Yeah. Well, that's very disappointing. I know. I mean, obviously we get the odd medicinal cigarette being smoked or a lot of them having to relocate entire floors of people. Medicinal cigarette, that is hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think now. I mean, yeah, it's mainly on the crew side, you know. <laughs> yeah, because they have to stay in the hotels. Till three o'clock in the afternoon before they get their room. <laughs> well, I mean, that, <laughs> it wouldn't happen on my watch. <laughs> all right. I, I, yeah. So, speaking of medicinal cigarettes, actually, I mean, we all have clients who have worked with artists that, uh, you know, can't go five minutes without lighting up another. I, I mean, are there, you know, pot friendly hotel chains or anything like that that, that, certain travel agents might be aware of or, uh, you know, should be considering uh, uh, oh, when, 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 when booking tours? I mean, obviously, um, in the U.S., you have certain states where it's legal, which is uh, a foreign concept for an English person. Whether they would be pot-friendly smoking in the room, um, no. I don't think there's any hotel that advocates that unless you're out in Asia somewhere and you've got a, a designated smoking room, which do still exist. But um, if you have, a, well, for me, if I have a client that I know smokes, we always gather that info in advance and we're like, all right, this is the charge. This is what it's going to be. I think the biggest hiccup that I've ever come across with that is this one hotel and, uh, because I can understand a cleaning fee. I think it's fair if you've got a deep clean. And it does. It, it leaves, whether it's a cigarette or a, or a herbal cigarette, it leaves behind a smell. Actually, the herbal ones are kind of less offensive, but uh, they have to deep clean the room and that costs money. So I understand that the hotel has to take it out of service. You know, there's a cost in, involved. But there was this one hotel and they insisted on charging every single day. So it was like $500 or something. And the person was in there for like a week. And of course, at the end of it, you get presented with this bill. Like, what is this? Like $3,500 on a, a smoking cleaning fee. It's just not fair, you know, but that's the difference between a corporate hotel and, and an entertainmently versed hotel, like one that's used to receiving entertainment groups, because there is a big difference. And I think us as touring agents will we'll always try and work with the ones that we know are going to be like, Oh, you know, we, we get it <laughs> in all aspects rather than, well, this is what you owe us. And you've been, you know, you've, you've broken the rules and all that kind of stuff. And nobody likes a, a, a strict hotel. Not at all. <laughs> like <our freedom. laughs> Question. Um, I know some agents, they excel when it comes to the frequent flyer input into the profile. Mm -hmm. How hard is it to keep track of all these frequent flyer numbers and save these profiles? I mean, because every tour you fill out this cruise sheet and you put all your numbers and your airlines and preferences and all that. 
And there are agents that are amazing at every time you get your stuff and it's like, oh, it's already shows up in my profile. Yeah. And you have some where it's like every single flight you have to input your information, even though it's the same agent who's yeah. been booking everything. There's honestly no excuse for that. Um, oh. Yeah. Um, every single person that has a profile on your system on any system on any of those Sabre, Galileo, Apollo, any of those GDSs, you when you build a profile, that's for me. When I start a tour, I get given the like immigration list, and I'll go through it one by one, check whether I've got a profile. If I've got a profile, update the info, or I'll build a new profile. Like I'll do that before I even start issuing any tickets. But that's because I'm an organization freak. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like everything to be exactly as it should be. But once that information's been put into that profile, we never have to put it in ever again. So if I'm booking you a flight, I pull it up by your name and I drop your name into the booking where I'm holding the flight. All of that information, your your frequent flyer, your um, passport info, your uh, global entry, all of that just instantly goes into the booking. I don't even have to do anything. Just by me oh. putting your name in, it all drops in. So honestly, really, there's no excuse for it not being in there. And what it tends to be is if people are rushing and they just don't build the profiles and they manually make it if they're like in a hurry. And then that information, once the flight's gone, it's gone, you know. Whereas if you just take that extra five minutes just to build the profile, it's always going to be there. And then you don't have to ever put it in ever again. That's interesting. That's good to know. That sheds a lot of light. (laughs) <laughs> also another question about bookings like when you get these i call them spider web bookings where you're booked on like seven different airlines but you have one reference number how is that even possible <laughs> because a lot of times you'll call the airline and you're trying to explain it and they're like, i don't even know how this was even accomplished you know like where you have this one number but you're on like eight different airlines you know of course we're talking about like multiple travels and all that stuff but how easy is that to create something like that it's the worst i mean Mm. it's terrible for us too i mean here's the thing with a ticket like that it's generally if somebody's like oh i have to go from la to singapore singapore to narita narita to auckland auckland to la and they'll type in all that you know plug in all those flights and then they'll we can do like an entry that will like shop the best fare or whatever like like a, a fare shopper which is in the gds And that will then pull up like these crazy itineraries where it's like a mixture, like you say, of all these different airlines. But although it's giving you the cheapest fare, the problems then come from like, if you ever have to change that ticket, it's going to be a nightmare for us to change it. Like if you're combining carriers and everything, it's always so much neater to just do everything on one carrier or at least with the because you know airlines partner with other airlines like BAAA mm-hmm. Delta Virgin you know there's certain combinations that that talk to each other and work together and that's fine but when you start like throwing in all these different airlines it's it's been done on probably a cost effective thing but mm-hmm. in the long run it's just going to cause the biggest headache for everybody for you mm-hmm. for the agent if they have to ever have to change it it's just it's not the best thing to do Mm. like it's better to like sit there and like plan it and be like all right well i know that this airline goes from a to b and then i can partner that with this other airline and that all comes with like experience experience yeah you just have to know how those fares work and airfares that 
it's a very complicated business. And what a lot of people don't realize is if we met, if we do something wrong on a ticket, like there's all sorts of codes and stuff that we have to put in. And if a if we miss something off, for example, and the airline picks it up, British Airways, one of the worst airlines for it, they'll they'll fine us. So oh. if I forget to put a code on it, I could get a fine for like five hundred dollars, thousand dollars, and now I'm freelance, that comes directly to me. <laughs> Whereas before I was salaried and, you know, it wasn't so much of a a scare, but now I'm like super careful about everything because you only have to do mistype one thing or forget to put in one designator on a ticket or something and they can fine you for not issuing it correctly. So it, it's quite a like risky business. Right. Seems like it. <laughs> yeah. That's why we charge fees. <laughs> Understood. I appreciate that insight. I've always been curious about that. Yeah. Well, I think we should move on because I, I know Chris is smiling and uh, acting appreciative, but I think his blood is boiling right now over a handful of situations, a few of which I'm aware of. So uh, onward. Uh Danny, you've been amazing. You've been a fantastic guest. We've taken quite a bit of your time. I, I think now, as we always do, as I think you're aware, we will jump into our quick hits. And we would love it if you'd tell us just a little bit more, starting with your first tour experience. So my first on-the-road tour was that On the Run, the Jay-Z Beyonce yeah, where I rode the bus from start to finish. And yeah, intense highs, <laughs> intense lows. I think I slept for three days when I came back. I never felt exhaustion like it. But I think the full highlight of it was um, the last city was San Francisco. And because, you know, the production manager will always get the upgrade. And it was Bobby who was the production manager. So And he lives in Oakland. So the hotel gave me the upgrade that was assigned to him. And we had this massive party <laughs> at the end of the tour. It was really fun. And um, I think that tour, uh, Christine can probably relate, but it was my first tour. So obviously it was like super special to me. Um, but it was just one of those tours where we all walked away from it. And as much as it been horrific and stressful and everything else we all kind of had this crazy like bond and I'm still in touch with a lot of the people from that tour actually very cool well that tour aside can you speak to a best moment or experience Oof. um a best moment um I mean, I guess one of the craziest moments that stands out in my mind, we were with GNR. Um, oh, God, there were a few moments in Italy. <laughs> Italy is just one of those places where crazy stuff happens. But the first time we were in Bologna, and we were staying in this hotel, and it was this really old, traditional, like, you know, terracotta roofs. I don't know whether you've ever been to Bologna, but it's all very villagey kind of feel. And this hotel was super old school and I got there to do the advance, you know, set up all the rooms and everything. And I, as I'm checking in, I get handed this key and it's literally a key. 
and it's not only like a, a metal key, but it's got like this, you know, like the what a tie back on a curtain with the tassel hanging off of it. It's got like <laughs> this massive red tassel hanging from it. And, you know, this is a band that, you know, have to have multiple keys and certain key, certain key packets. I was like, oh, my God, I don't even know how this is going to work. So I've got like these A4 envelopes full of like all these tassels and keys and I kind of needed like a a cart to wheel all these key packets. But when we were there, the Italian fans are the craziest fans that I've ever known. And they literally blocked the road. I've got photos of it outside the front of the hotel that they were, when I say that they were probably 20 people deep and as many as across, you couldn't even walk out of the hotel. It was insane. And while we were there, Pierce Brosnan was there <laughs> randomly. And this poor guy, he couldn't even get in and out of the hotel. <laughs> he was like trying to get through all these like GNR fans, you know, and he came in, you know, sort of all disheveled, like finally made it through the crowd. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, this is just a really funny thing that's happening here. Pierce Brosnan can't even get in a hotel because of all these fans. It was just a funny, funny hotel experience. But uh, we that tour is, um, I've been touring with them for three years and it really is, it's like a, a big, big dysfunctional family that we've got on the road there. <laughs> Very cool. So if there was any one thing about the industry you'd like to see us doing better coming out of this pandemic, what is it? Hmm. I mean, just coming out of it would be nice. <laughs> Start booking some business would be great. Um, I think but pandemic yeah. aside. Hmm? Pandemic aside. Pandemic aside. For me personally, I mean, I've always been 150 miles an hour all the time. And I think what I'm going to take away from this is just a bit more of a a work-life balance. And when I say that, I'm not going to start just doing nine to five. And if you want to get me, I'll call you back tomorrow. I just mean a bit more of prioritizing. I think that everybody feels that same way. You know, we're so used to living out of a suitcase and, yo, I'm leaving tomorrow and I don't know when I'm going to be back. And I think that personally, I'm really going to come back into this with a bit more of uh, a grounding for home um, and just like a bit, and I hope that I can have a bit more priority over things that, you know, maybe should have mattered that I kind of kicked to the side, like even like health things, like I haven't been to the doctor in years, <laughs> things like that, that maybe should take more of a priority that works always kind of come in front of it. I like that answer. And we'll get you out in, here on this shout outs or parting shots. Shout out. I mean, I've got to shout out Christine Dallas. <laughs> oh, you're so kind. I know. I miss you. Um, I miss you. You know, I just really appreciate everybody that I work with in this industry. It's, it is really like a massive dysfunctional family across all areas. I love working with my clients and I appreciate each and every one of them. And I don't, wouldn't be here today without like, the mentoring that I received from my old company and even the company before that I had two fantastic bosses. So, um, yeah, I just really appreciate everyone and everything. 
Well, we appreciate you too. Do you have any socials, any social media handles or anything we should know? Yeah, I'm Danny underscore Trebner. Good luck spelling it. <laughs> On Insta. <laughs> And there's only one Danielle Trebner in the whole wide world. So if you can't find me, there's something wrong. (laughs) Well, there's definitely only one, yeah. Although from a travel perspective, I wish there were more. (laughs) We appreciate you being with us today. Danny, been great. Thank you to my co-hosts, as always. To our listeners, we appreciate you. You know where to find us at HLUB Podcast on Instagram, hustlelikeyoubroke.com. We appreciate your questions. Really appreciate everyone who gave us such positive feedback on our Core 4 episode that aired just uh, last week. It was was really heartwarming to see all the responses. Uh, My friend Julie gave me a hell yeah. I appreciated that. Uh, My friend Brokaw suggested we should do this. He said every 12 and we call it the dirty dozen. So to him, if we go with that, uh, kudos to you, uh, to everyone else that reached out. Uh, again, always appreciate your comments, your questions. And uh, on that note, we thank you and good night.